Charles Schumer talks about inciting something very, 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 very inappropriate, so we will talk a bit about what's going on there. The company that made Bernie Sanders mittens is going out of business because they are, wait for it, overtaxed. Donald Trump may be running again in 2022 or may have his eyes on different political ambitions, so we'll talk a bit about that. And Biden policies push soybean futures and soybean prices down to the point that are detrimental to local farmers. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Contemporary. My name is Jay Edgar. We have got a bunch of stuff to get to today. Apologize for the lateness, but with 37 news stories over the weekend, I really think the mainstream media is starting to overcompensate, but my God, 37. 37 news stories. It's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. But we're going to power through them all. We're going to get through them all. And we're going to have the conversation, get everything going, and tell you guys what you missed over the weekend. But before we do any of that, head on over to freedomscoop.com. Freedomscoop.com is going to be your one-stop shop for all of your news and commentary needs, where we carry great shows such as The Generational Gap, The Daily Ignoramus, and Good Morning Sunday Morning. Go over there and check them out. We also carry The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, The R-Rated Conservative, and the Freckles and Brit Show. Come on over there, pick up some of our swag, and help us support great creators. Help us top out over the Daily Wire. So maybe one day an independent uh, media commentator will be using our articles to read the morning news. All right, let's have a look at what the numbers look like here. Starting with the Dow, which, well, they had to refresh themselves just because it took me so long to organize everything here, but. You can see we're back down under 31,000 once again. There was a very sharp drop-off. Went down, almost down to... Almost dropped down below 39. But then we came back up and held throughout the rest of the day. But yeah, it's... People don't know what the hell's going on. And we keep seeing things like insulin prices going up and soybean futures falling. Which is going to have a drastic effect on what's coming up here too. So... We'll talk a bit about that as we go along. Let's get into the Bitcoin. The Bitcoin prices today, as of right now, are 34,570.60 US dollars. Looks like a very slight drop from Friday, but they're holding steady throughout the week. So I think they found their running average. I know they dropped down to almost 31000 here. We will see what Janet Yellen has to say about that because that's another thing that we're going to be concerned with as we move along with this is whether or not she's going to make Bitcoin illegal. All right. Let's see what IBD has to say. This is going to give me the ad blocker thing, isn't it? I bet you. Yep. All right. Let's see what CNBC has to say. Yeah, unfortunately, everything's got to reload now because, like I said, it just took me so long to get through all this. S&P 500 futures are flat ahead of busy week for earnings. Apple shares gain from 
no, I'm not going to turn my ad blocker off for you. From Yoon Lee and Pippa Stevens. S&P 500 futures were little changed early Monday as Wall Street prepares for the busiest week of earnings, which will include reports from some of the largest tech companies. Futures tied to the broad equity benchmark were flat. NASDAQ 100 futures added 0.9%. Futures on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which are less linked to technology shares, shed about 140 points. So the NASDAQ is up and the Dow is down. This coming week, 13 Dow companies and 111 S&P 500 companies are set to report earnings. Among the quarterly reports on deck include those from Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, Tesla, McDonald's, Honeywell, Caterpillar, and Boeing. Apple shares gained 2% in pre-market trading to about 142 a share before its quarterly report on Wednesday after the bell. Tesla, which also reports Wednesday, was up 1.5%. Sorry, I got a hair in my eye. The street is anticipating robust results from Apple on Wednesday after the bell with Cupertino expected to handily beat street estimates across the board, wrote Dave, uh, Dan Ives rather, of Wedbush, who raised his 12-month price target on Monday to $175. While the street is forecasting roughly 220 million iPhone units for 2021, we believe, based on current trajectory and in a bull case Cupertino, has potential to sell north of 240 million units. Well, first people are going to have to go back to work and have money to buy 240 million units. That is, by the way, an iPhone for over a third of the U.S. population. Not adult population, population. So, honestly, I don't see that happening. I really don't. Companies kicked off the earnings season on a strong note of the S&P 500 components that have already reported earnings. 73% have beaten on both sales and EPS. According to data from Bank of America, the firm said this is tracking to similar to last quarter when the number of companies beating a hit a record. You're going to hear every day about what percent of companies beat expectations, but most companies didn't give guidance because of COVID, said Peter Buchvar, chief investment status, uh, officer at Bleakley Advisory Group. You know, Buchvar is not that common of a name. I wonder if this guy is related to Kathy Buchvar. It's an interesting side note. You know, the Secretary of State, I believe, is what she is of Pennsylvania. I know, she was involved in a lot of the uh, election stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. Wall Street is coming off a winning week amid the strength in this technology sector. The Dow registered its fifth positive week in six, while the S&P 500 posted its third positive week in four. The NASDAQ advanced 4.19% last week for its best week since November, and the fifth positive week in six as shares of big tech names pushed the index to a new all-time high. The move higher came as President Biden tries to push through a $1.9 trillion stimulus program that many congressional Republicans oppose. The fiscal aid includes direct stimulus checks to millions of Americans, aid to state and local governments, funding for COVID vaccines and testing, a boost to the minimum wage, and enhanced unemployment benefits, among other things. The number of coronavirus cases continues to tick up in the U.S. and abroad, but many economists are forecasting a return to growth later this year. Well, yeah, we just read at the end of uh, last week that, oh, the WHO says now you have to retest because we have to make sure there are no false positives out there. So we will see what's happening with all of this here coming on in. Let's get into the big news of the day, starting with Politico. 
Rand Paul spars with ABC host over election integrity. But don't worry, Susan Wojcicki. There was nothing wrong with the election. Everything was above board, and nothing at all was out of the ordinary. Wink, wink, honk, honk. From Jesse Naranjo. Senator Rand Paul on Sunday got into a heated exchange with ABC host George Stephanopoulos over the disproven claim that the 2020 presidential election was stolen days after President Biden was inaugurated. Asked on ABC's This Week whether the election was stolen, the Kentucky Republican responded, What I would say is that the debate over whether or not there was fraud should occur. We never had any presentation in court where we actually looked into the evidence. He argued that the rulings were based on the legal status of the claims, not the validity of the arguments, something that was true in some cases, but by no means in all of them. Because, you know, Politico is judge, jury, and executioner on this. Paul, an ally of former President Donald Trump, who ultimately voted to certify Biden's Electoral College win in the wake of the deadly January 6th insurrection at the Capitol, world's worst insurrection. I wish I had my iPod over here, because then I could... Make fun of the people taking the selfies with the cops. But I mean, my regular phone's sitting right over there, and that's streaming to Instagram right now. But yeah, if I could just make fun of the people who were taking... Because that's all it was. It was people that were let in. They were taking selfies with everybody. And a dude stole Nancy Pelosi's podium. Other than that, a weird dude in a buffalo costume. This was not an insurrection. This was idiocy. Stephanopoulos interrupted Paul after he went on to say that there's still a chance that some challenges in states whose election officials changed voting rules without legislative approval would make it to the Supreme Court, and that there was a possibility that the ballots were cast under the names of dead people or by undocumented immigrants. Senator Paul, I have to stop you right there, Stephanopoulos said. No election is perfect, but there were 86 challenges filed by President Trump and his allies in court. All were dismissed. Every state certified the results after investigations, counts, and recounts. The Department of Justice, led by Bill Barr, said there was no widespread election uh, evidence of fraud. Can't you just say this words? This election was not stolen. Paul responded by alleging a majority of Republicans believed the election was stolen, at which point Stephanopoulos retorted, 75% of Republicans agree with you because they were fed a big lie by President Trump and his supporters who say the election was stolen. Don't worry, everything was completely above board and there were no problems whatsoever. The 2020 election went off without a hitch and nobody can say anything else. Right, Susan Wojcicki? Wink, wink, honk, honk. And that's one of the things. And I actually, I made this point on Stephen Ignoramus' Instagram the other day too because he had posted something about atheists. And atheists will come out and say, Well, show me the evidence that there's a God. Oh, wait, you can't. Ha, 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 ha. Which... That's on faith in and of itself. That's a completely different argument, but it is the same. It's the same thing going on with the election. Well, I mean, hold on. We're not going to make fun of the, the retorters yet. You know, somebody like Rand Paul will come up and say, well, I think we should have an investigation to see if there's any sort of evidence. And then whoever he's talking to will come up and say, show me the evidence that, that we need to have the investigation. And somebody will calmly come out and say, well, you know, We've got to have the investigation and see what the uh, evidence is. I'm not saying take it to court yet. I'm saying let's have an investigation and see what the evidence is. See, there's no evidence. You can't show me evidence. You're lying. And that's what it's been ever since November 3rd. I reason to believe 
I reasonably believe, rather, that, of course, this election was 100% above board and nothing bad happened and nothing was wrong and there wasn't anything bad that went along with this. I, I reasonably believe that. But in reality, isn't this worth a second look, especially considering the fact it was challenged? I don't know. I'm not a judge. All right, let's keep going. Caleb Hull tweets out a video that we're going to watch and listen to to see what it is that old Chucky Schumer had to say about this. Video is audio playing because it reloaded again, but let's have a listen. But make no mistake, there will be a trial, and when that trial ends, senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John, Donald John Trump incited the erection, insurrection against the United States. Incited the erection. They believe Donald John, Donald John Trump incited the erection if they believe Donald John Donald John Trump incited the erection, if they believe Donald John Donald John Trump incited the erection, if they believe Donald John Donald John Trump incited the erection. Hey, I've seen Melania and she's incited my erection every once in a while. All right, let's read from the Daily Wire here. Incited in erection, Schumer gets excited about Trump's role in the Capitol breach. From Hank Berrien. It seems to be contagious. No, we're not speaking of the deadly coronavirus, but a much more prosaic and hilarious faux pas, saying President Trump incited in erection at the U.S. Capitol. On Friday, speaking on the floor of the U.S. Senate, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer intoned, but make no mistake, there will be a trial, and when the trial ends, senators will have to decide if they believe Donald John Trump incited the erection the insurrection against the United States. That was not an insurrection, guys. I'm sorry. Fox News noted Schumer was informing senators about the plans for an impeachment trial of the ex-president. The House last week impeached the president for incitement of insurrection for his alleged role in encouraging protesters who went on to storm the Capitol. It was at that point when Schumer made a somewhat phallic flub. Bloomberg's Robert George commented on Schumer's faux pas on Friday, writing, So, the Senate floor, Chuck Schumer just said that senators must decide if Donald John Trump incited the erection, uh, insurrection. Well, it was an uprising. Oh, what's this? Hey, Senator Schumer, the good news is you're in good company. That's what, you know, he will continue to repeat throughout the rest of his life. But just two weeks ago, he did incite an erection on the Capitol. Oh, I didn't know about that one. He did incite an erection on the Capitol. Just two weeks ago, he did incite an erection on the Capitol. Just two weeks ago, he did incite an erection on the Capitol. Just two weeks ago, he did. Nice. I didn't know about that one. On the website transcription of Cooper's show, CNN changed the wording in an apparent attempt to obfuscate the fact that Cooper had slipped up, writing that the host said, but just two weeks ago, he did inside an eruption on the Capitol. Oof. That might be worse. 
Oh, that's great. All right. We got to keep moving on, though, because we have so much to do. All right. From Fox News. Give that a second to load back up. Meghan McCain rips Biden for not wearing a mask at the Lincoln Memorial. Go away. I'm not turning my ad blocker off for you. Oh, they're going to autoplay, aren't you? After signing a mask mandate from Joseph A. Wolfzone. The View co-host Meghan McCain slammed President Biden for appearing to not follow his own mask mandate on the night of his inauguration. Why weren't President Biden and all members of the Biden... Nobody likes you, Pisaki. Hours after taking the oath of office, Biden signed ex uh, several executive orders, including one requiring the wearing of masks and social distancing in all federal buildings, on all federal land, and by federal employees and contractors, as well as on airlines, trains, and transit systems traveling between states. However, critics piled on the 46th president for appearing at the Lincoln Memorial without a mask during his inauguration. Celebration Wednesday night. In addition, several members of the Biden family similarly ignored COVID precautions. McCain, a long family friend of the Bidens, took the president to task for the apparent hypocrisy. We had President Biden, him and his family. They're not wearing, after mandating and requiring for people to wear masks on federal property, he and his family were not wearing masks out, McCain said. So, again, I think the rules for thee and not for me, that has been going on for a long time, in the Trump administration, and now you're seeing President Biden. I was really disappointed that he wasn't wearing a mask. McCain also bashed Fauci, now a White House advisor, over his inconsistent remarks about wearing masks early in the pandemic. She insisted it's okay to hold Fauci's feet to the fire for his role in the Trump administration. I was pre uh, pregnant in the New York City when the pandemic broke out. I had a bunch of masks and I ended up giving them away because they said it doesn't do anything and you don't need it. But I was lied to, McCain told her co-hosts. And I know at least one person jumped out and hopped on Twitter and said, uh, Oh, well, you were never lied to. It was it was never a thing. Just, we're going to rewrite the history. We're going to retcon this because then it fits our narrative. So, that was fun. I don't have a picture of the video of Biden in the Lincoln Memorial. I am going to try and pick that up for the Red Net Show tonight, though, because... Yeah, it's good. Just hours after he says, masks on all federal land. Oh, there he is. With that crazy, creepy fucking smile. Standing out there. It's like, dance for me, puppets. Dance for me, peasants. You will beg me for single payer by the time I'm done with you. If he can, of course, figure out which foot his shoes go on. All right, from the Washington Post, archived. Attorney Robert Kaplan is about to make Trump's life extremely difficult. From Karen Heller. On the other side of Trump's turbulent presidency, his lawyers are waiting. Leaving aside his Senate impeachment trial, mounting government investigations, including a civil probe by the New York Attorney General Letitia James, a criminal probe by the Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr., and a federal probe by acting U.S. Attorney D.C. Michael Sherwin that may include Trump's role in the catastrophic storming of the U.S. Capitol this month, one of those three is not going to go anywhere because he's a private citizen now. Not to mention the fact that he didn't incite the fucking riot. And any first-year law student can get that one thrown out. But, uh, yeah, there's more. 
But already pending for the soon-to-be South Florida retiree is a trio of lawsuits that allege defamation, fraud, and more fraud, all of which are helmed by one attorney. Of course they are. Roberta Kaplan's clients include writer E. Jean Carroll, who filed the defamation case after Trump claimed she was totally lying about her allegation that he raped her a quarter century ago in the Bergdorf Goodman dressing room. That one's going nowhere. Niece Mary L. Trump, who claims that Trump and two of his siblings deprived her of an inheritance worth millions. I got a feeling that one's going to go nowhere, too. But, hey, she's going to use that last name to keep trying to make herself rich and famous. I became the go-to person to sue the president, says Kaplan, 54, with considerable relish. She is in many ways the ideal legal adversary to take on Trump. Kaplan is a brash and original strategist, with neither a gift for patience nor silence, a crusader for underdogs, who has won almost every legal accolade imaginable, Kaplan, says New York Democratic Governor Andrew M. Cuomo in an email, has been indispensable in the fight against the cancer of hate and division that Trump spent four years exacerbating. So, essentially, what's going to happen with this, because you know that the Mary Trump thing and the E. Jean Carroll thing is going to be on the front page of CNN, is yes, they are going to continue to try to make this man front and center now that he's a private citizen, and I hope that he sues all of them for harassment on top of all this, but, you know, he is a public figure and he does love having the camera on him too, so, yeah, they've got the boarding, uh, boring, boring-ass Biden presidency, and he's about to do some stupid shit. I mean, we're going to see a bunch of the stuff down here. The stupid, stupid stuff that he's going to do to wreck out the economy. But as long as everybody's paying attention to Trump and his lawsuits, all that shit's going to fly right under the fucking table. Let's keep going. From CNN. Fact check. Biden falsely claims journalists had all said his vaccination goal was impossible to meet. From Daniel Dale. President Joe Biden delivered a factually accurate Thursday speech about the coronavirus pandemic, but then after he signed a series of executive actions intended to address the crisis, he was asked by a reporter whether the vaccination goal he announced in December, 100 million doses administered in 100 days, is sufficiently ambitious. I trust that all you guys are going to go out and get your uh, coronavirus vaccine just because Biden uh, said so, right? I don't have to look over to the live chat right now just to see the flood of yeses that are coming. The question of whether the goal is too modest has arisen, in part because the U.S. is approaching a 1 million doses administered per day level, even before Biden gets to implement his plans. The U.S. has averaged 914,000 doses administered per day over the last week, according to data published Thursday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. But Biden defended the 100 million goal, he told the reporter, When I announced it, you know, you all said it, it's, it's not possible, man. Come on, give me a break, man. It's a good... Did CNN actually transcribe that? Holy shit. Come on, give me a break, man. It's it's a good start. 100 million. No, I'm, I'm not doing that to make fun of Joe Biden. That's actually in the transcription right there. Holy shit. Facts first. Biden claims... Or Biden's claim is false. It's not true that there was an initial media consensus that the 100 million goal was impossible. Some of the early news coverage 
of the goal did not even question whether it was plausible. Some experts featured in the early coverage, including CNN chief medical correspondent Dr. Sanjay Gupta, said the goal was achievable. And while some journalists and experts were more skeptical, cautioning the goal was ambitious, they did not go so far as to say it was impossible. This is the hardest they're going to rail on Biden for the next four years. All right. From the New York Times, archived, of course, because ad blocker and I'm not giving them my money. Senate leaders strike deal to delay impeachment trial. Um, this is a live update, so there's no author given, but I wanted to check on the top of this here. President Biden hopes to accelerate the delivery of stimulus checks and lay the groundwork for a $15 minimum wage. For federal workers, former President Donald J. Trump is accused of inciting an insurrection and is the first president in history to face a second impeachment trial, which Senate leaders agreed Friday would begin the week of February 8th. And once again, all the agenda is going to slip right under the fucking table while all the air is sucked out of the room by President Trump. And still, I don't believe that this is constitutional, that he can be held as a private citizen to crimes that he committed in office, if there was such a crime. Not to mention the fact that I don't believe there's a fucking crime there. So they came to an agreement, and yes, they uh, have delayed this out. So we will see this beginning on February 8th. Let's keep going. I do want to become famous, so let's just click on that link over in the live chat. I do want to. Should we? Should we? No. All right. From the New York Post. Kamala Harris will live at Blair House while official VP residence is repaired. From Kenneth Garger. Vice President Kamala Harris and second gentleman Doug Emhoff will temporarily re reside in the Blair House as repairs are made to the Oval, or official rather, Vice Presidential Manish, uh, Mansion. Wow, I can read this morning. At the Naval Observatory, a report said. The move requested by the Navy entails replacing chimney liners and other maintenance to the number one observatory circle, an aide to Harris told CBS News. The repairs will be easier to complete with the home unoccupied, the aide told the outlet. So she can't move into the Naval Observatory right away. That's it? Not, oh, well, I mean, she, she's evil because she wanted to put people in prison. Don't you know? Oh, no, no wait, they only do that to Pence. I bet you she'll go and have dinner with a man that's not her husband. Fluff piece. Let's keep going. From the Daily Wire. Trump has a political plan for 2022, abandons idea of creating third political party, report from Ryan Saavedra. President Trump has reportedly dropped an idea to start a third political party, which was briefly floated last week, and is now focused on helping the Republican Party win back the House and Senate in 2022. I'm going to have the greatest House and Senate. I'm going to be the kingmaker, the greatest kingmaker. Okay, we'll have the greatest Republican Party. It's going to be the greatest house, the greatest Senate, and everything's going to be great, okay? And I'm the greatest. In the last 24 hours, after floating through a few folks that he was considering creating a third party as a way to keep Senate ours in line ahead of impeachment, Trump has been talked out of this and is making clear to people he isn't pursuing it. New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman wrote, Trump has started to believe that there are fewer voters or votes to convict him than there would have been if the vote had been held almost immediately after January 6th. Well, you need to get to 60 
And there are still senators on the Republican side who know that 2022 is coming up. And yes, President Trump did lose a lot of support over the lies the media told about the insurrection. But that doesn't mean that a lot of these senators, if they vote to convict, are going to go home and face down a horde of pissed off mega voters because there are still Q people out there. There are still people that are sitting out here. I've considered making a tagline in at the beginning of the show just to make fun of these people. Right before I say, I'm Jay Edgar and this is contemporary in the beginning, saying, hey, 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 do you trust the plan yet? I'm Jay Edgar and this is contemporary. Just because there are that many people out there that still believe, and you go into some of these. Um, uh, Pete Santilli's channel over on DLive, if you go and watch his sauce stuff, his moderators, I don't know if his moderators believe it just as much as they're rolling their eyes and letting it happen because Pete tells them to. But, uh, I mean, in the live chat, you see tons and tons of people that are still out there. Trust the plan. Trust the plan. Pete the Patriot is out there. Trust the plan. Trust the plan. There are a ton of people out there that are still coming out and saying, trust the plan. And a lot of these senators have to go home and face those voters in just two short years. Trump allies also reportedly pointed out to the president that threatening to primary certain Republicans would not make any sense if he created a third political party. Well, I think they should all be primaried anyway, because everybody should be primaried. There should be a lot more primary challenges than we get. In a statement, top Trump advisor Jason Miller responded to reports that Trump had drafted an enemies list of Republicans for his Patriot Party to challenge in primaries. The president has made clear his goal was to win back the House and Senate for Republicans in 2022, Miller said. There's nothing that's actively being planned regarding an effort outside of that, but it's completely up to Republican senators if this is something that becomes more serious. The Wall Street Journal reported last week that Trump had discussed with several aides that prospect of creating third political party, which said that, the, uh, that he would call the Patriot Party. And see, I don't know about this. Now, I guess if it was me, I would go out and, you know, start a Patriot Caucus. Because there's a fairly, I wouldn't say substantial, but fairly noticeable Liberty Caucus in the House and Senate. You know, we had Justin Amash before he went on his crybaby fit, and Thomas Massey, who are, by all rights, libertarian. But still run with that R next to their name to try and hold the more establishment and the more... I'm just a Democrat with an R next to my name, Republicans, in the House and Senate to account. And we need to see more of that. And then there's Rand Paul, too. And I know Elaine comes out and says that she would love to see the turtle man get ousted so that Rand Paul could become the senior senator and Thomas Massey become the junior senator so that both Kentucky senators are libertarian. But, I mean, what happens to the House at that point? I don't know. But I don't think that, I actually think, first off, we need to convince that these Patriot Party voters that uh, the government really is evil, no matter who's at the top, and then get them to caucus with the Liberty Caucus and hold the neocons to account. But that's my strategy for all this. Let's keep going. From the blaze, Native America tribe torches Biden administration over oil drilling order, a direct attack on our economy and sovereignty. From Chris Enloe, a federal, uh, federally recognized Native American tribe is demanding President Joe Biden's administration 
immediately rescind or amend a new policy that temporarily suspends new oil and natural gas leases and drilling permits on federal land. The Ute tribe of the Uinta and Ore Reservation, which is located in Utah, blasted acting U.S. Interior Secretary Scott De La Vega for issuing the two-month moratorium claiming the order violates the tribe's sovereignty. The Biden administration's action is particularly personal for the Ute Indian tribe because they produce a significant amount of oil. From Reuters, the tribe produces about 45,000 barrels of crude per day in the Uinta Basin along with 900 million cubic feet per day of natural gas, according to a document filed with the Bureau of Indian Affairs in 2017. Yeah, that's a bunch of, uh, that's a bunch of oil, that's a bunch of gas, and that's a bunch of money. I don't directly know how the lease for federal land affects this because they should be off of federal land if they're on the reservation. But as far as how they're doing that, I mean, if this does affect them, that that's huge. You're taking more jobs away from these indigenous people that you claim that that's, that's all your campaign was for, was for indigenous people and black people and people of color and, all this. And then you continue to take jobs away from them. I mean, once again, there's the Keystone Pipeline and people talking about the fact that, oh, well, the pipeline's taking away 100,000 jobs. Right there, before your first week is out, you're out 100,000 jobs. And now you're taking out more and taking out the sovereignty of an Indian nation on top of it. All right, let's keep going. From Politico. Several governors order National Guard troops out of D.C. Um, I, I want to touch on something from the live chat. I don't normally do this, but uh, I do want to fact check uh, Ron Helton over here for just a second. Uh, the Democrats can't get rid of the 60 majority requirement for impeachment. They can do it for a lot of other things, but they can't do it for impeachment because that's in the Constitution. And it would actually be 66 constitutionally because it's two-thirds of the Senate. Two-thirds of both houses actually have to. It's two-thirds of the Senate to convict and then two-thirds of both houses to remove. So they actually have to get up to 60. Is it, it depends on where they put the decimal. It's either 66 or 67 in the, in the Senate to do that. And they can't change that. They can change a lot of other filibuster things, but they cannot change that one because it's enshrined in the Constitution. That would take a constitutional amendment which is not going to fly in middle America that still ha wears MAGA hats. All right. Several governors ordered National Guard troops out of D.C. From Ben Leonard and Laura Seligman, at least four governors say they're ordering National Guard troops out of D.C. after thousands of guardsmen were sent from the U.S. Capitol outdoors or to parking garages earlier this week. Republican Governors Chris Sununu of New Hampshire, Ron DeSantis of Florida, Greg Abbott of Texas, and Greg Gianforte of Montana have all now said that they're calling Guard members from their state's home. More than 20,000 National Guardsmen were in D.C. ahead of President Joe Biden's inauguration Wednesday for enhanced security and to make sure that Joe Biden had a bigger crowd size than Donald Trump. Roughly 7,000 troops will remain in D.C. until February 6th to continue to help federal law enforcement agencies with post-inauguration riot security. Where are the riots? 
Show me the right. Wait, no, no. hey. Let's take a page out of their playbook. Show me the evidence that you need these uh, troops there. Hey, where's the evidence? Show me the evidence. Oh, you have no evidence? Then send these people home. Guard spokesman Ma uh, Major Matthew Murphy said in a statement, of those 5,000 will stay until mid-March. The troops will provide security, communications, medical evacuation, logistics, and safety support to local and federal agencies, he said. So you're having your military handle your law enforcement in your capital. Can you imagine? I'm not even going to say just Trump. Can you imagine if any Republican did this? Any Republican. Neocon establishment populist or otherwise or well you can't imagine a libertarian one doing that but uh i mean you couldn't imagine an amash or a Rand paul doing that that seems to be quite uh opposed to their ideals but could you imagine if any other republican in the world did this can you imagine The majority of the troops staying in D.C. will be on a volunteer basis, but several groups have been involuntarily extended through February 6th, according to two Guard members who spoke on condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss the topic. Just a sec for that. On Thursday, Guard members were abruptly called to leave the Dirksen Senate office building and vacated to a parking garage. The Guardsmen previously told Politico there were about 5,000 troops in the garage without internet in one bathroom with two stalls, with chilly nighttime temperatures, the guardsman said, and yes, we've all heard the conversation now about this, where, well, they weren't actually out there for everything. Like, they weren't sleeping out there. They all had hotels because they're National Guard people, but, you know, going out there to take your breaks, you know, we don't want to look at you anymore. Go out, go out in the parking garage. Just get out of the Capitol. All right, let's keep going. From the Daily Wire. Sanders Mitten Maker, my business plunged because we got taxed to the nth degree from Hank Berrien. The Bernie Sanders supporter who made the mittens, Sanders wore to President Biden's inauguration, mittens made famous by a photo of the Democrat socialist senator sitting with his arms and legs crossed during the proceedings, revealed in an interview that she doesn't have much of a mitten business anymore because it really wasn't worth it. Independent crafters get really taken for a ride by the federal government. We get taxed to the nth degree. In March of 2020, the Wall Street Journal reported of Sanders' tax-heavy plans for the U.S. economy. Presidential candidate Bernie Sanders is trying to expand federal taxation on a scale not seen since World War II, pursuing policies that would end the nation's run as one of the industrialized world's lowest taxed countries. Jenna Ellis from Essex Junction, Vermont, told Slate that she was totally delighted when she found out Sanders had made her mittens famous. She recalled Sanders wearing her mittens a year ago during the presidential primary, and some people on Twitter mistakenly gave credit to Sanders' grandmother for making the mittens. How old is Sanders' grandmother? Sanders is 80. I mean, you're talking a minimum of 116. So she tweeted that she had made them and added her uh, Gmail account. 
Ellis said that after the photo of Sanders at the inauguration went viral, people have been contacting me, thinking they can get mittens, and actually they can't. I don't have any more. And I don't have much of a mitten business anymore because it really wasn't worth it. Independent crafters get really taken for a ride by the federal government. We get taxed to the nth degree. And it really wasn't worth, uh, wasn't really worth pursuing that as a business even. So, I, I, get, I get the mittens, and, and the, the business leader has to pay her fair share. And, and I get the mittens. But I cannot eat the tapioca with, with the mittens on. But, of course, we have to make sure that, that the capitalists and the business owners, that, that, that they get taxed appropriately. Oh, well, there's no, mitten, there's no more mitten maker. Well, I will find another one then. So, yeah, there's your federal government at work once again. All right, from Business Insider. People died here on January 6th, Pelosi says Congress won't give Trump a get-out-of-jail card just because he's out of office. Well, see, Nancy, I know you don't believe in this document, and you've made that very clear throughout the last two years. But there is a constitution that dictates how you interact with a private citizen as a government official. There is a document that, that decides how you do that for you. You don't get to make the rules on this one. The rules were laid out before you. So, I mean, if you want to shred the constitution, I mean, we all know that you do, but... Uh, you are going to face some legal backlash for that, just so you know. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Wednesday shot down the notion that impeaching Trump could alienate Republicans and undercut the message of unity that the new Biden administration is advocating. And none of his voters are willing to listen to, by the way. I'm not worried about that. Pelosi said at the news conference when she was asked about the impeachment proceeding. The fact that the President of the United States com committed an act of incitement of insurrection. I don't think it's very unifying to say, oh, let's just forget it and move on. That's not how you unify. Pelosi went on to say of Trump, just because he's now gone, thank God. You don't get to say to a President, do whatever you want in the last months of your administration. You're going to get a get-out-of-jail card free because people don't think you should make nice nice and forget that people died here on January 6th. Yes, but uh, now we come with the question of what do we do at this point? Because I, I would have to go back and read the Constitution again, but I'm pretty sure that you can't do that to him as a private citizen. Yes, have your little fucking federal investigation. Let's see what happens from that. Let's see who you can brainwash into believing that this was an incitement to riot. But yeah, go ahead, do that, but... As far as your impeachment goes, no, you don't get to. I'm pretty positive that's unconstitutional. But we will see. Let's keep going. From the New York Post. A lot of people have forgotten about that little girl. Twitter suspends Antifa accounts with more than 71,000 followers. From Leah Eustachwich. Twitter has suspended several popular accounts with alleged ties to Antifa, which have more than 71,000 followers combined following the Inauguration Day riots. 
At least four accounts tied with the militant group have been yanked offline, including the Base BK, the account for the Anarchist Center in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Archived web pages of the account show they shared more than 71,000 followers and dated back as far as 2012. Their pages now read account suspended for violating Twitter rules. It's interesting. Now that Biden is the president there, now we're taking the crackdown on Antifa. It's almost like... No, it couldn't be. It couldn't be. It's almost like the mainstream media doesn't want you to remember Antifa anymore. Now that everything is all gone, done, uh, done and gone. Antifa Sacramento railed against the base's suspension on its own Twitter. Our comrades with the base. And and our... Uh, our, and our an anarchist social center in Brooklyn, New York, of nine years now, took this Twitter thing seriously, reaching a platform of 17,000 followers. They pushed a very specific line where politics were never blurred. Today, Twitter took their account down. Now there's a void, the group tweeted on Thursday. Maybe you shouldn't have been, spent so much time railing against alt tech. But it's, it, I mean, it's funny because now the election is over and the inauguration is over on top of this. Now, oh now, are we going to start putting the rules on things like Antifa? You know, of course, I mean, it's very easy for Twitter to come down and say, well, that's a problem, but we're, we're not going to have any more QAnon or where we go one, we go all posts on Twitter anymore. And, we, and we've got to take those down because that's, that's an incitement of riot. Meanwhile, Antifa has been using Twitter to organize and incite to riot all summer long. But let's not talk about that. Ah, it's... I'm, pff, you knew it was coming. All right. Will Tennessee Mojo over on Twitter tweets out, Soybean price is down 70 cents per bushel in the last two days. Corn is down 50 cents per bushel in the last two days. For those who don't know, a small farmer like me working a thousand acres just lost $100,000 on a 200 bushel per acre average corn crop, thanks to Biden's ex executive orders. So there's some numbers for you to go along with this. I mean, of course we can come out and everybody can come and say that, oh, well, it's it, it, the, the numbers aren't going to affect us. It, it, we're, we're helping in the long run, but this is real world numbers to a real world farmer. All right, from SuccessfulFarmingAgriculture.com via Reuters, soybeans dive to biggest weekly loss in six and a half years on profit-taking. Soybeans corn tumble on improved weather. Wheat extends fall after rally by Christopher Wall Jasper. Chicago soybean futures slid more than 4% on Friday while corn futures dropped their daily limit as rains in uh, key South American growing areas offered relief amid tight global supplies, overshadowing strong weekly U.S. report data. Wheat futures tumbled 4%. Chicago Board of Trade, the most active soybean contract, ended 58.5 cents lower at 13.11 and three quarters per bushel, its biggest loss since August 10th, 2018. For the week, CBOT's most active soybean contract lost $1.05, dropping 7.4%, its biggest decline since July 4th of 2014. 
Robust soybean exports failed to lend support. The U.S. Department of Agriculture reported export sales of old crop U.S. soybeans in the week ending January 14th at uh, 1.818 million tons above trade forecasts. New crop sales were 831,000 tons, also beating expectations. Brazil's soybean harvest has been slow to start, which could impact U.S. markets. That's keeping the Chinese business flowing our way for an extra few weeks, said Jack Scoville, market analyst at the Price Futures Group. The fact that we're lower encourages more sales. That's true. That is true. But keep in mind, Donald Trump did. That was one of the things that he did well in office was he put the pressure to China for them to buy American-made soybeans and corn. Now with Joe Biden coming in and pretty much going on the express purpose of pencil whipping every executive order that he possibly can in order to undo Trump's presidency entirely, that does mean that China doesn't have to abide by the contracts that Donald Trump put into place where China was buying soybeans from the U.S. And that is going to drive the cost of the soybeans down, which is going to hurt the local farmer. So, we will see what comes out of that. From Politico. Writing a speech for Biden can be hell, and that was before the inaugural. From Natasha Korecki. Joe Biden paces as he dictates long portions of his speeches to aides, spinning out thoughts that quickly pile into six, seven, or eight paragraphs of copy, only to later be scrapped. On the 2020 campaign trail, he'd keep groups of supporters waiting inside while he'd hole up in a black car with aides, refining lines of his prepared remarks. Revisions go up to crunch time. It isn't uncommon for a staffer to be scurrying to the teleprompter with a flash drive just before an event is to begin. For higher-profile remarks, he'd obsessively rehearse portions until he committed them to memory, and at times, through the various iterations of outlining remarks, Biden could grow downright ornery. I would never say this, Biden once snapped at an aide, aghast over the prepared remarks he was reviewing, according to a person in the room during a speech prep session last year. Where did you get this from? The aide explained that Biden had just said it in a public speech a couple weeks earlier. Such are hallmarks and unpleasantries that are the sausage-making of speech writing with Biden. Whether it's his stump speech, or a second rather stump speech of the same day in Michigan, or a nationally televised address, there are a few tasks in politics that Biden takes more seriously than speaking, and perhaps the struggles he had with speech in his childhood explains why. No, it's not his childhood speech impediment here. He's getting ornery, he's getting mad. I would never say this, man! Well, you just said it two weeks ago, Mr. President. No, this is a man who is clearly in cognitive decline, and they're going to try and 25th Amendment him out. The fact that Politico is coming out with this article after the inauguration means that now they're going to start to shift the narrative of, oh, well, Grandpa, no, maybe it's time for you to step down and, you know, let, let Kamala do things. You had your run. You, you made the president. Now let's go have some, let's go have some tea and sit out on, on the back, on the back porch. So this is going to be coming down the pipe. From CNN. Sarah Huckabee Sanders announces bid for Arkansas governor. Yes! I want to watch this one. I want to watch this show right here. From Dan America. Sarah Huckabee Sanders was my spirit animal. That deadpan, 
knockaround of people like Jim Acosta. I loved it. I like Kaylee McEnany too, but she was very animated and very... Just the fact that Sarah Sanders could do this in that deadpan voice without showing any emotion to go along with that, I loved that. That was hilarious to watch. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, President Donald Trump's former press secretary, announced Monday that she is running for governor of Arkansas. With the radical left now in charge of Washington, your governor is the last line of defense. In fact, your governor must use the front lines, Sarah said in a nearly eight-minute video posted on Twitter. So today, I announced my candidacy for the governor of Arkansas. She also notes that the riot at the Capitol earlier this month as an example of lawlessness in the country. We've seen violence in our streets, at a congressional baseball practice, and at our Capitol. This is not who we are as Americans. Or as Americans, rather. To remain free, we must have law and order. Well, that's kind of a contradiction in terms. She says in the clip, Sanders had been likely seen as a candidate ever since she left the White House in the summer of 2019. The daughter of former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee will likely face a primary challenge. Multiple top Republicans in the state have already announced a bid, and she is widely seen as an early favorite for the position. A source familiar told CNN of Sanders' plan to run for office on Sunday. Oh yeah, no, we're going to start seeing a lot more primaries coming out of executive positions. And not out of legislative positions, unfortunately. And I would love to see more come out of legislative positions, but, you know, here we sit. Alright, from Fox News. Are we, are we over the halfway mark yet? We're getting there. Like I said, there was a lot. They tried to cram a bunch of shit in this weekend. AOC. I'm sorry, we can't say that anymore. That's disrespectful. The Honorable Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, D-Twitch, says she skipped inauguration in part because she didn't feel safe around other members of Congress. From Morgan Phillips. Amid the pomp and circumstance of this week's inauguration, one prominent Democrat was notably absent. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez first told CNN's Chris Cuomo that she had foregone her invitation to President Biden's inauguration to support a union strike in South Bronx. I'm thrilled for President Biden and Vice President Harris. I think the festivities were phenomenal. But when pressed, the... I'm sorry, that wasn't an AOC voice. But when pressed, the progressive rabble-rouser admitted that she also sat out the swearing-in due to security concerns, adding that she didn't feel safe around her colleagues at the moment. There was supposed to be a show of force and unity, and you weren't there. Explain it. I think we also have real security concerns, Ocasio-Cortez admitted. We still don't yet feel safe around other members of Congress. She added that a very considerable amount of members of Congress do not feel safe around their colleagues over two weeks since rioters breached the Capitol. The New York Democrats said Representative Andy Harris had tried to bring a gun to the floor of the House. Well, that's against the rules. So, yes, Andy Harris. Bad. Bad. Follow the rules as they're laid out. Or don't follow them, uh, or don't do your job. That's one thing for me. That is one thing that I, I will stay firm on. The House laid out the rules, and one of the rules is you cannot bring a gun onto the floor of the House. 
I don't agree with the rule. I think you should be able to. But if the rules are there, follow them. Because otherwise, they crack down and pile more rules on. And nobody wants more rules. Ass. The moment you bring a gun to the house floor in violation of rules, you put everyone in danger. She said when asked about the prospect of members that might be trying to ensure protection against such an insurrection as the January 6th riot in doing so. I don't care what they say their intentions are. Ocasio-Cortez thought she might die the day the Trump mob forced its way into the Capitol. Ugh. I can tell you, I had a very close encounter where I thought I was going to die. Yeah, I don't care about this anymore. I'm bored with this. AOC is doing her acting thing to try and make sure that she gets the gun control agenda that she wants. And all I can say is, Let's keep going. I got a couple tweets back to back for this. First one comes from Razorfist. It's like the political equivalent of weekend at Bernie's. And if Biden deteriorates much more, it's also the physical equi equivalent. From I Hypocrite, YouTube deletes portion of dislikes from Biden videos saying it's spam. Don't worry, there weren't that many people that disliked this video. Alright, next one here, and this goes into an actual news article we got to talk about. Uh, Veronica Birkenstock, and this is the reason that I found this. Actually, it was this reply was the reason I found this, because I don't follow Veronica Birkenstock, but I think we might change that real quick. Boop. Okay, you're followed. Because this is a really base take. Um, why would Joe Biden raise the cost of insulin for people during a pandemic? Because our friend, Tweets by Britt, over from the Freckles and Britt show, tweeted out, I have two kids with type 1 diabetes. This disease is already super expensive. I can't imagine how awful it will be if the government takes over even more of healthcare. It's just ridiculous. Because, of course, we've got to roll back every single thing that Donald Trump did. Because orange man bad. So let's read from Fox News. Biden admin freezes Trump HHS rule meant to lower insulin prices. The rule has been put on hold for 60 days pending review from Brittany Delia. I bet you the insulin manufacturers are all excited for this. President Biden has been reversing or pausing some rules put in place under former President Donald Trump this week, including one designed to bring down the price of insulin. The Department of Health and Human Services on Thursday announced that the directive would be put on hold, among a number of other measures, that were passed under Trump but are not yet in effect. The measure signed off in December aimed to require some community health centers to deliver savings to low-income patients for insulin and epinephrine in a bid to bring down unaffordable prices. The rule was changed to go in effect on Friday but has since been delayed until March, of 20, uh, March 22nd. I almost said March of 22, which... Knowing Biden, it might get there because we got to make sure that everything good the president did gets erased from history. On Wednesday, the White House Chief of Staff, Ron Klain, directed agencies to pause orders signed towards the end of Trump's term so they could be reviewed. So, a couple things that are going along with this. Now, first and foremost, this isn't the dire thing that they keep trying to put off, but it's still bad. I mean, the Donald did go through, and... Of course, he could have done this way earlier in the presidency as well. 
And he probably should have. Because then they wouldn't be treating this as a last minute thing. But either way, before you suspend some of these things, you really need to look into them and see what they are. Because this would have helped a lot of people. But I know, and of course, when I found this, I got that picture of Biden's big, creepy fucking smile. And I captioned it with, Dance, dance for me, peasants. That's right. Beg me for single-payer health care. Which, honestly, if this continues to go in the direction that I think it's going to go, and what I'm seeing come out of the administration so far, that's what we're going to be doing. Is Joe Biden, not necessarily him, because he's a demented idiot, but the cabal of bureaucrats behind him coming out and saying, you will beg us for single-payer because that was supposed to be the end result of Obamacare. You will beg us for single payer if we have to kill you to make you do it. And then they will have control over every aspect of your life. So I can see sharp increases in insurance costs and deductibles and the individual mandate. Because that's been the goal for quite a while. We have to make we have to make our healthcare like Canada's. Alright, let's keep going. From Yahoo Finance, and this was put into the Discord by Silentcaster. If you guys aren't in the Discord yet, there is a link in the description below you on all the video platforms. Otherwise, we can uh I mean if any of the mods see somebody that's not in the Discord yet, uh make sure you get that in there. I can put uh one in there for the YouTube and the uh Twitch guys, let me get that in there. For you guys, get in there because you can help shape the show. So thank you to Silentcaster for this one. From Yahoo Finance, GOP congressmen give $1,400 stimulus checks to people who get the COVID-19 vaccine. From Jessica Smith, one Republican congressman says instead of sending stimulus checks to every qualifying American... Direct payment should go to people who received the vaccine. They're, they have a fucking... Hold on, let's circle this back to the beginning of the show. They are inciting an erection over getting this vaccine. Now, mind you, I took the scissors and snipped up the $1,200 check. I haven't seen the $600 one, but as soon as I see that one, that one's getting snipped up too. And the $1,400 check, that's getting snipped up too. Nothing comes out of the government without a hook buried into it. Which means they own you. Once they give you something, they own you. Just remember that. I don't trust the government enough to take anything out of there. I barely trust the government enough to put money into the government. But I know they'll come and put me in a box if I don't. They will send men with guns to my home to put me in a steel box if I do not give them the money that they believe they're entitled to. And I barely trust them enough to give them that money. But yes, they, uh, they've got a fucking boner for this vaccine. I'm still not taking it. You still can't entice me with your government money. And as I said, now they want to, there, there are certain congressmen that said, oh, well, we want to, we want to limit this to people who go out and get the vaccine. Fuck yourself. 
Does it tell me which one it is? It says it's a Republican. Stivers. Stivers. Who the fuck is Stivers? I don't know. But yep, they're going to try and they're going to do everything they can to try and get you to take that vaccine. Let's keep going. From the Wall Street Journal. Amazon. You know, after everything that all the Democrats said in the campaign trail, even into the primaries, said about, well, we want all the jobs to be union jobs and union this and union that, and Amazon is our ally. Amazon seeks to postpone Alabama unionization, excuse me, unionization vote. From Sebastian Herrera. Amazon.com Incorporated is seeking to postpone a unionization vote at a warehouse in Alabama and is asking federal labor authorities to reconsider a decision to allow mail-in voting due to the pandemic. The company said Thursday uh, they filed an appeal to a decision by the National Labor Relations Board which allow, uh, is allowing a mail-in process due to COVID-19 ri- uh, risks instead of the in-person elections that are typical in such unionization votes. The ballots are sent to be mailed to about 6,000 workers associated with its Bessemer, Alabama facility on February 8th. In its petition, Amazon said the board's decision was flawed in part because it had not adequately defined an outbreak among other objections. Just the amazing part of this, and I can actually skip the Blaze article that comes after this because they're saying the same thing. But the absolutely amazing part of this is Amazon doesn't trust mail-in voting. For its union vote. Never mind the fact that they are completely against the unionization at this point, but they they don't trust the mail-in voting. Do you see what they do once they once they get their way? Now they come out and realize that this is a flawed system. Alright, let's keep going. Uh, Amazon uh, claims in-person vote, the only way to ensure a valid fair union election. Yeah, it's the same thing we just read in the last one. So we'll skip that one here. And we will go on to Ron Helton's favorite news source in the world. Bloomberg. From his favorite politician in the world. From Bloomberg. GameStop tug-of-war gives Reddit Army a win on record volatility. From Bailey Lipschultz. In the battle between the short seller Citroen Research and an army of Reddit charged day traders, GameStop Corporation's seemingly endless rally has been given the stock's bulls a win, though not without controversy. GameStop's 45% gain through Friday comes after it more than doubled the week before and marks the most volatile 10-day period on the record. Data compiled by Bloomberg show the stock's parabolic rise, which has come amid steady and elevated short interest in increasing volume, had showcased the divide between the retail bulls and bears betting on a quick return to reality. A backlash against Citroen by some vocal Reddit users over its views on GameStop came to a head on Friday when the short seller said it would stop commenting on the stock following the actions of an angry mob. We are investors who put safety and family first, and when we believe this has been compromised, it is our duty to walk away from a stock. Citroen managing partner Andrew Left wrote in a Twitter, uh, I'm sorry, in a Friday letter. 
The statement came a day after Left said in a YouTube video that he'd never seen such an exchange of ideas of people so angry about someone joining the other side of a trade, referring in part to Reddit users who have been particularly vocal on the social media site in seeking to promote their positive opinions on the video game retailer's stock. GameStop is up 174% in January to date, with its average daily rolling 10-day volatility peaking at the highest level in the nearly two decades the stock has been trading. Data compiled by Bloomberg show Friday's fluctuation between gains and losses kept the market value above $3 billion. I'm guessing they know something that we don't know. All right, I got just a few more here, then we'll do something that restores my faith in humanity, and head on out of here. So I got one from Breitbart. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Linda, he's not a bot. That's Chilaga. But the Restream bot is uh, giving you the Twitch one. All right. From Breitbart, exclusive drug rehab center was front for Mexican border state cartel. Uh, from Gerald Tony Aranda, an investigation into a shooting at a drug rehab center in Nuevo Leon revealed the facility was a front for one of the local cartels. The shooting took place shortly after midnight on New Year's Eve in the Monterey metropolitan area. Gunmen pulled up in two SUVs and began firing dozens of rounds. The attack was not fatal, as only two men inside were injured. The incident garnered minimal coverage by the news outlets in Nuevo Leon. Breitbart, Texas, consulted with U.S. law enforcement, sources operating in Mexico, who say the attack was not an isolated incident, but part of an ongoing turf war. The rehab clinic operated without any certifications or licensing and is owned by Geronimo El Gero Hernandez de la Rosa. In a local member of the Gulf Cartel, El Gero operates under Augustin Jaime Albarbas Gonzalez Garza, a regional crime boss with a long criminal history including drugs, weapons, and fuel theft charges. So, basically... Over in Monterey, they were using a drug house and a rehab center. I'm sorry, they were using a rehab center as a drug house. From ABC. 19 burned bodies found near Mexico-U.S. border town. From Alfredo Peña. Ciudad Victoria, Mexico. Mexican authorities said they found 19 shot and burned bodies near a town across the Rio Grande from Texas in an area that has seen violent territorial disputes between organized crime groups in recent years. The Tamaulipas State Prosecutor's Office said late Saturday that the bodies were discovered along a dirt road outside Camargo after residents reported burning vehicle. Authorities found two vehicles on fire, one containing four bodies, and the other 15. Some rifles were also found. All had been shot, but shells were not found at the site, leading investigators to believe that they were killed somewhere else. A Camargo official who requested anonymity due to security concerns said the killings occurred Friday, but people had been afraid to report them. Meanwhile, in Guatemala, rumors swirled Sunday that Guatemalan migrants were among the dead. The Foreign Affairs Ministry said in a statement that Guatemala's embassy in Mexico and consulate in Monterey were communicating with the state and federal authorities to determine if among the victims is any person of Guatemalan national, uh, nationality. It said 
they had activated consular aid protocols. Camargo is a major smuggling transit point for drugs and migrants. Organized crime groups covet control of the stretches of the border because they make money off everything that crosses the border. Camargo is near the edge of the territory, historically controlled by the Gulf Cartel, and in recent years a remnant of the Zetas, known at the Northeast Cartel, has tried to take it over. But throw that border open and we're going to tear down the wall, guys. That's all I have to say about that. They're still running the drugs even with the, what wall was built and what was done with that. With the kids in cages. With everything else. They're still running these drugs. And they still want to throw that border open wide. Alright. From the Daily Wire. Report. Surge of student suicides forced Las Vegas School District to return to in-person learning. Hmm. It's interesting because I'm pretty sure that we started talking about this all the way back in March when they started talking about shutting shit down. From Emily Zanotti. The nation's fifth largest school district of Clark County, Nevada, will return to in-person education as quickly as possible. Following a surge of student suicides in and around the county's central city, Las Vegas, according to the New York Times. The shocking news of a rash of student suicides in Nevada has school districts across the country rethinking the strategy of in-home and online learning amid the ongoing coronavirus pandemic and reconsidering their position that students might fully recover from a year spent outside the company of peers. The spate of student suicides in and around Vegas has pushed the Clark County District, the nation's fifth largest, towards bringing the students back as quickly as possible, the New York Times, a former newspaper, reported on Sunday. This month, the school board gets, uh, gave the green light to phase in the return of some elementary school grades and groups of struggling students, even as Greater Las Vegas continues to post huge numbers of coronavirus cases and deaths. So we can go back and assess our own level of risk once again. And of course, I mean, the technology can come out there where people can decide if they want to do distance learning, remote learning, or send the kids to school. Because doing the remote learning, I will come out and say, is going to work better for some students. Homeschooling is going to be the ultimate best way to do this, obviously. But having remote learning available is going to, it's going to work well for some students. It really is. I know a lot of people scoff and poo-poo at it, but... Every student is different, and there are going to be different ways to approach this. Instead of trying to force everybody into the same box that the mainstream school system has been trying to force them into for the past, I don't know, 100 years. But it's interesting that, yes, now we're starting to look at open up and go back in and go back to, uh, go back to work and go back to school and everything else. All right. Speaking of opening back up from ABC7, and once again to go back and cite uh, Britt over on the Freckles and Britt show, who is very excited about this. You know, hey Britt, if you're watching here, I wonder if this is, is, is this the perfect time to open California back up? Or maybe we should have done, no, this has got to be the perfect time to do this. From ABC7, California Governor Gavin Newsom expected to lift strict stay-at-home orders, sources say. Do I have an author? I do not have an author given on this. 
Governor Gavin Newsom is expected to lift California's strict stay-at-home orders he imposed on much of the state in December. In a letter to restaurant owners, the California Restaurant Association says, Sources tell them that officials with Newsom's office plan to lift the stay-at-home orders in all regions of the state on Monday. Golden Gate Restaurant Association President Lori Thomas says she's optimistic outdoor dining will resume by the end of the week. When Newsom announced the recent round of stay-at-home orders, he divided the state into five regions. The new restrictions would be triggered if any of the region's hospitals' intensive care unit available capacity dropped below 15%. The stay-at-home order closed bars, wineries, nail salons, hair salons, and barbershops, and other personal care services. Private gatherings of any size were prohibited, Although enforcement of that has been inconsistent, restaurants had to shut down in-person dining, even outdoors, but were allowed to continue takeout and delivery. So, once again, it's weird. We've come to the point where now we have the new president inaugurated. And hey, you know what? Let's, uh, let's just open everything back up. You know, it's all fine now. It's all, it's all good. It's all fine. Don't. Don't worry about it. We'll just open it all back up and everything will be fine. And let's just forget this ever happened. All right, last one on the news, and then we will do something that restores my faith in humanity and head on out of here. From the blaze, uh, Tacoma police, uh, Tacoma police vehicle plows through crowd, officer placed on leave. This is out of eastern Washington. A Tacoma police officer has been temporarily placed on leave after plowing through a crowd in Washington state. The dramatic and graphic scene was captured on video. Tacoma police were responding to a car meet that allegedly got out of control. Videos show cars doing burnouts and donuts in the middle of an intersection. The car meet had approximately 100 people present, uh, present blocking the intersection when officers arrived on scene, the Tacoma police said in a press release. At one point, one of the vehicles doing donuts appears to hit an onlooker. Warning, graphic content. <laughs> you asshole. <laughs> I think he missed. I actually do. It looks like he missed, like... At the narrowest of misses, he missed, it looks like. Because I could see the body afterwards, and it was still, you know, trying to jump back away. So, it's closer than comfort. I mean, I've done shit like that, but I've always made sure that there were people not close by when I did it. That's kind of an asshole move on the guy with the car. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to watch, you know, see people doing donuts and burnouts and shit. But, dude, know your crowd. And the people who go and watch this shit... If you're going out and watching this shit, stand back. That's 3,000 pounds of steel that the driver doesn't have complete control over right there. It's going to hurt if it hits you. So, a little bit of fault on both sides of it. Tacoma police officers responding to the location began clearing the intersection of vehicles and people for the safety of those gathered and people trying to use the street, police department said. The Tacoma police department statement said the crowd surrounded the vehicle and people 
hit the body of the police vehicle and its windows as the officer stopped in the street. The officer, fearing for his safety, tried to back up but wasn't able to do so because of the crowd, the press release said. The officer had his lights and sirens activated while trying to extricate himself from an unsafe position. The officers drove forward, striking one individual and may have impacted others. Videos from the scene of the incident show the stopped police SUV and the crowd gathered around it. The police vehicle accelerates forward, plowing into the crowd. The vehicle knocks several people to the ground, and one man is seen in the video being run over by the front and rear tires. Caution! Graphic content. Hit those people! Oh my god! Oh shit! Oh my god! Now, I have mixed concerns about this. Number one, first and foremost, the officer was at risk by an unruly mob. That probably did intend him, uh, intend him harm. Did he handle that the right way? Probably not. Especially the fact that he fucking launched like that. But did he have to defend himself first? Yes, they also had to do that. You know, if they breached the vehicle, you know, both those officers probably would have been killed and all the gear that they had with them in the hands of an unruly mob. So there, there is a balancing act that goes along with this. I mean, they do have guns on them. And, you know, once they get pulled out of the vehicle, guess what the, that unruly crowd has access to? Uh, let's see. Another video here. <laughs> we saw coming back out of that a lot of people in this situation were in the wrong on both sides so but after i mean and this is the big thing especially up in washington after seeing everything else that happened with antifa going after police vehicles vehicles in general pulling people out of semi trucks and beating them pulling people out of vehicles on the side of the street would you want to take a chance if you were in the situation especially if you were in a law enforcement vehicle. But that's what we see from that. All right. And the last thing that we do on a Monday is something that restores my faith in humanity. So I looked at this. The Federalist of me really loves to see something like this because now the government, now that the federal government is doing something stupid, it's time for the local government to step in and try and make it back right. 
and see where the constitutionality and the Supreme Court go because you know it'll get challenged in the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court will say, well, the federal mandate is right, which it isn't because the federal mandate is not supposed to go from the federal government or the executive branch either. Or the state government should have control over how this goes. Bill barring biological uh, boys from girls sports advances in Montana. From Hank Berrien. In the past week, the Montana House Judiciary Committee passed a bill which would create the Save Women's Sports Act that would bar biological boys from teams in, or in sports designated for women or girls. By passing the bill, the committee set up a floor hearing in the Montana House. The sponsor of the House Bill 112, GOP Rep. John Fuller, told the Montana Free Press that he wanted to protect the 1972 Title IX, uh, permitting biological boys to compete against biological girls would be just wrong, he said, adding, I believe that this will result in the destruction of women's sports, and I believe it's a violation of the spirit of Title IX. House Bill 112 cites various reasons for its position, inherent differences between men and women, ranging from chromosomal and hormonal differences to physiological differences, as well as men generally possessing denser, stronger bones, tendons, ligaments, larger hearts, greater lung volume per body mass, higher red blood cell count, higher hemoglobin, along with a higher natural level of testosterone, which affects traits such as hemoglobin levels, body fat content, the storage and use of carbohydrates, the development of type 2 muscle fibers, it's all the stuff we've been hearing off from the beginning. The fact of the matter is, the state of Montana looked up and said, hey, federal government, what you're doing is not right. And we're not going to secede yet, but we're going to pass a law because you're doing it by executive fiat. We're going to pass a law, and this is what we're going to give you because of that law right there. You're doing an executive order. We're passing a law. We're a locality. You're the federal government. By all portions of the Constitution, our words should reign supreme in this argument. And once again, you notice it's never going the other direction now. I guess if it was me, I would write the bill saying both directions, biological girls don't compete in boys sports either. But you never hear about that. It's always the, it's always the record-setting track meet star who went out and said, well, I'm a girl now, and suddenly he's setting records and taking scholarships away from girls who have been training their whole lives to do this. You never hear about the other way. I'm sure it goes the other way, but they're not the ones that are causing the problems, unfortunately. But yeah, I would, I would not gender this because there's a good chance that this does get tossed out as discriminatory, unfortunately, because it only goes in the one direction. So I would reward this if it was me, but... The fact that they're standing up and they're doing something about it, that's what restores my faith in humanity. Localities, states, counties, you have the authority to do this. You have the authority to go tell the federal government to get fucking stuffed when they pass an executive fiat that you don't like. That's what federalism is all about. We need to do more of it. And good on Montana for coming up and doing something like this. And that's going to be it for the day. So, with that, we're going to head on out of here. I'm going to get started on the visual aids for the Red and Ed show tonight. So, make sure you guys come by and hang out with us tonight. That's going to be a, an awesome time. We've got a lot of stuff to talk to. And I think for the most part, we are going to be talking mostly about the executive orders and everything that is coming down out of the federal government right now. Looking forward to that. Hoping to see you... Uh, 
later on tonight. That will be at 5.30 Central Time with my wonderful co-host, Elaine. We've got a great show set up for you, and I'm dying to hear some of her opinions on uh, some of the stuff that the Biden administration has put putting out by Executive Fiat. It's going to be a great time. Looking forward to that. Otherwise, if you can't make it tonight, you can catch this program and the Red Net Show both back on the audio platforms, which I do still need to get my Friday and Saturday shows up on there, but uh, you can go back and hang out with us for that. That's going to be on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or you can go and join us over on Trovo too. Looks like I've got some people over there as well. So, That'll be awesome. Come over there. We'll see if we can make that a bigger platform. As of right now, Trovo does not have regular interaction with the regular chat. I checked into that. Um, Restream is trying to add that, so we will possibly see that come in in the near future. So look forward to that as well. But a lot of work to do, a lot of things to do to improve this program, and a lot of things to do to make sure that I give you guys the best news. But until then... We will see you next time, uh, whichever it may be. Until then, I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary.